Principal Matters Podcast, episode 169. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week, I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about sailing and leadership with my guest, Dave Sandwich. Recently, I had the privilege of spending a few hours sailing on the Chesapeake Bay with Dave Sandwich, a friend and retired principal from New Jersey. Dave commands a 42-foot sailboat called the Charis with the skill of a man who has spent the past 40 years on the water, anytime uh, when he hasn't been leading his school or his family. And with his sleeves rolled up, Dave showed me how to handle the jib sheet trim the mainsail, navigate through the changing depths and mark distant points for reference. With his graying hair blowing in the wind and his deep voice rattling like a coach patiently giving orders, he told me, keep the wind at 30 degrees and head for the red buoy ahead. And Sanowich, a 65-year-old father of three and grandfather of eight, is a man who has relocated to Kent Island, Maryland seven years ago, renovated a 120-year-old farmhouse that has a very important accessory, access to a pier for a permanent home for Charis. And although he still consults younger principals, he spends most of his time with his boat or entertaining guests and family members who visit while sailing season is in play May through October. And Dave told me this. He said, well, sailing is a lot like leadership. On a sailboat, your destination may be directly from where the wind is coming from. A sailboat can't sail directly into the wind, but it can work its way upwind by sailing at angles off the wind and working its way upwind to the destination. It's more work and it takes more time, but you will get there if you stay the course, apply your sailing knowledge, and get the feedback from your instruments and instincts and adjust along the way. I've been chewing on Dave's words now for days, and right after our afternoon together, I was able to attend the National Association of Secondary School Principals State Principals of the Year Ceremony, where I heard Joanne Bartoletti, NASSP's Executive Director, sharing about some recent research that the Pew Research Institute has shared analyzing which public figures do people trust the most, including ministers, policemen, you name it, in terms of public servants. And guess who... 84% of respondents said they trust more than any other public servant, principals, because principals are often the ones who are willing to work upwind ethically and tirelessly on behalf of their school communities. In fact, Joanne Bartoletti said in that meeting, if we want great schools, we need great principals. And this month, as we've been celebrating National Principals Month, I just want to bring to you a conversation that I had with Dave Sandwich. I was able to connect with him after our time together via Zoom and just ask him to talk a little bit more about what it's like to compare sailing to leadership, some of his own experiences. And I want to share that story with you. I'm so excited that Dave is still sharing his stories with principals even after his retirement. And I just want to say this, that standing on the prow of the Charis with Dave was one of those experiences I'll never forget. I remember watching as the water cascaded below me, uh, the jib and the mainsail had both been taken in at the end of our time together. And I was holding a long pole for pulling the dock lines as we came into the slip. 
and Dave was standing in the stern of the boat, steering and guiding us in, and we snagged the lines and tied up. It had been such a great day for sailing, and the winds had been brisk. They had pushed us along the Chesapeake while the weather was moderate enough for long sleeves and bare feet. And as we were wrapping up the excursion, Dave said to me, Will, some sailors will not want to do all the work and never sail to a destination that's upwind. And leadership is like that. It would be nice to just set a worthy objective, point the organization in that direction, and arrive in a reasonable amount of time. But it rarely happens. You have to commit to the end destination and work your way toward it. And so today, Principal Manders listeners, I, I want to transition to that conversation with Dave. But I just want to remind you that you may be facing some heart issues this week. Maybe it's kids with anxiety. Maybe it's addictions. Maybe it's broken families. All of these make our job so much harder than caring about content standards or instruction. You have so many variables that you are managing, but with courage and collaboration and adjustment, you can still navigate tough currents and winds just like a good sailor. So this week, I, I want to share this conversation with you. I'm going to transition there now, but I want to thank you for the work that you've been doing. And I want to tell you thank you for the work that you do during National Principles Month too. So hope you enjoy this conversation with Dave. And uh, thanks again for the hard work you do every day. Thanks for doing what matters. This week, we're talking about leading into the wind. Lessons from my friend and retired administrator, Dave Sandowich. Dave Sandowich is a retired principal who lives in Kent Island, Maryland. For 21 years, he was the principal of Hayden Heights High School in Hayden Heights, New Jersey. And although he still consults younger principals, he spends much of his time now focused on his favorite hobby, sailing. His experience as a teacher, coach, principal, father, mentor, and a sailing enthusiast has given him a unique perspective on leadership. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege to spend some time sailing on the Chesapeake Bay with Dave. And as he commanded his 42-foot sailboat, Charis, with the skill of a man who has spent the past 40 years on the water, I learned so much from him that I reached back and asked Dave, would you please share our conversation with Principal Matters listeners? So today during our time, I would love for you to have some of the same conversations that I had with Dave. Dave is a great listener. He's a great teacher, and I'm so excited to share with you today a conversation about how sailing can teach you, the metaphor of sailing can help you understand and rethink the way that you lead. Dave, welcome to Principal Matters. Feel free to fill in the gaps in that intro and tell us, or tell us something about yourself that might surprise Principal Matters listeners to know. Glad to be here. Thanks, Will. I appreciate the time. And yes, we had a great time talking together. And when you're doing it for 21 years, you can, you can do it. I think if everybody looks back how they got into leadership, they'll find that they were being primed and prepped without even knowing it. I think we talked about coaching, football and wrestling coach. That is a big piece as far as it's working with people and kids and parents. You're doing it almost unconsciously and you're picking up a sensitivity. You're finding you have the skills that I directed a, a boys camp for five, six years. Loved it, but didn't even realize it was prepping me then. So I think particularly young leaders, probably doing a lot of things innately because they have the leadership skills and they're all contributing. Uh, so uh, other than that, no, let's, let's roll. Well, one of the things that I have the privilege of in this conversation, Principal Matters listeners are listening, but I get to see you in yeah. this conversation and I'm looking, into, I'm looking into the amazing place where you live. Dave lives in a 120-year-old farmhouse that's been restored right on the Bay of Chesapeake Bay. And Dave, right behind you, I can see the beautiful painting on your mantle. So not only are, are you a leader, a sailor, but you're, you're an artist. 
And, uh, and that was something that surprised me to know about you. And so you're a man of many talents. Don't forget the guitar. Yeah, and you're a musician. We were singing in the living room, if I remember right. <laughs> Such a great time. Sailing, leadership talk, and even playing guitar and singing together was fantastic. Well, Dave, listen, one of the things that you, you taught me in our time together that was so inspiring was not just the ability to sail, but um, the power of friendship, the power of connecting with other people who understand your struggles, who understand the ups and downs of, of leadership. And as we were standing on your amazing sailboat going across the bay, you were instructing me on the skills that it takes to sail. And at the same time, you were just, you were teaching. You were also kind of giving me some insights of how sailing is a lot like leadership. And so I just want to dive right into that. Let's talk about that. You spent a lot of time on the water. And I'm just curious, how do the skills involved in sailing help you better understand the challenges of leadership? There's many entry points to that, but I think I'm going to focus on the one that we spent the most time talking about. And I think what you were kind of intrigued with that how this boat of a pretty good size can actually move into the wind, against the wind, and move forward into the wind just by applying all the physics, the design of the boat, knowing uh, what the wind's doing, and we were sailing into the wind. <laughs> I think that was kind of something mm-hmm. that kind of fascinated you and continues to fascinate me. Uh, and we didn't, and then we drew a bunch of analogies out of that as far as um, how it rolls over into. Uh, leadership in general, particularly school leadership. So I'll, I'll park there for a while. The sailboat has a unique ability, uh, the way it's designed and using physics and airfoils with the sails, it can, it can sail into the wind. But the only problem with going, if your destination is in that direction and that's where the wind is coming from, it's going to take longer and it's going to be harder on the boat. It's going to take a lot more skills than when you're going with the wind. And um, it, it's preferably you have somebody there with you because there's a lot more to do on the boat. And I think, well, you experienced that. We were using, you were doing things you probably never did before. A lot of sailors will say, not today. (laughs) It's just too much work. There's a saying in in cruising that uh, gentlemen never sail to windward. (laughs) Uh, They wait for the wind to be blowing and, or just change destinations uh, because it's just a lot of work to sail the boat upwind. People don't, um, either they don't see it or they don't know it, that some changes are first order changes and some are second order. And you don't do first-order strategies with second-order changes. <laughs> and it's kind of like my when we're sailing, um, if we decide we need to be there, then we're going to have to sail into the wind. Let's park there just a minute, Dave, on first-order changes and second-order changes, because I think that's so important. Because what I see most leaders facing when they're stepping into any school culture or any school environment is a lot of difficulty. If leadership was easy, then everyone would do it. And you and I both know that it takes a unique person to have the skill set to step in and lead with courage and effectiveness. Now, some people can lead in ways that aren't inspiring um, or that create more destruction than, than improvement. But to do leadership effectively, I think it's important to understand the dynamics of, of leading through difficulty where you can actually reach your goals. And so explain what you mean by first order changes and second order changes and how that applies to facing those kinds of difficulties like you do when you're sailing? In general, and there's a lot more to this than this, but you know, a first order change is the general organization and the system that runs the organization doesn't really change that much. It's a tweak, it's an adjustment, it's an addition. But in general, it looks the same, feels the same. Time, time uh, if it involves you know, time, uh, chunks of time, they're usually the same. But it's significant enough to call it a change. A second order change, at least from my understanding of it, is um, you're changing how the system works, and it's bigger. It involves a lot more uh, 
it's a lot more stakeholders. It, usually in a school situation, we'll have its fingers out into the community. It puts people out of their comfort zone. We're going to do things differently now. And there's, and then there's the why question that doesn't often get put out there and answered and debated as to, you know, why is this a better, this is how we should be, we should be doing business this way. And here's why. And let's talk about it. You've led a lot of changes and you indicated earlier that um, you can think of one second order change that you led that you felt like was effective and actually long lasting after you were there. Can, can you tell us that story in brief sure. of what kind of change did that look like and how did you do that? Well, this is back, this is back in the late 90s, early 2000s. We were, we were going to, you know, the match, we were looking at time and block scheduling was big. And then, you know, the classic line, you know, whoever said that, you know, 42 minutes was God-given and that's how you will learn in 42 minutes. Well, nobody did. We just locked in ourselves here. So we let time control us versus us controlling time. So we were look, rethinking the time piece. I did some re I went back to school. I learned you know, how to bring about that. And I made the transfer to, you know, that some things apply to education. Some things don't. We brought it over. At the same time, there was, I think it's important that I'm a, I'm a backwards design uh, convert, <laughs> thinking backwards, uh, reverse engineering. Uh, that that caught me way early in my career, and um, I don't think you can do business without it in any organization. You need to have a vision of what this is going to look like. You need to put it out there, and then you need to uh, chunk it as to if this is where we're going to be in four years, this is where we need to be in six months, and this is where we need to be in a year, and uh, celebrate those successes. One of the things I, I know I did right, I and if you ask the teachers, what does one thing he did right in that three-year process was he, I brought in, geez, I can't imagine six other schools that were doing it fairly well. I brought in the math teachers. I locked in a room with my math teachers and said, talk. And I walked out <laughs> and I did that again and again. So they kept hearing the pros and cons, but most of the people say, yeah, once you try it, you can make it work. I'm getting better results, et cetera. I think the backwards thinking is huge in this area also, even in the small stuff. Well, I want to unpack for just a minute because there, there's several things that you said in that that I thought were really helpful. So help me, help me if I get this wrong. When you guys decided to transition from traditional scheduling to block scheduling, it sounds like you decided that you needed more instructional time. So you're looking at your historical schedule. And now you're looking at, let's move to something where students and teachers have more time within their day. And so you're, you're doing research because obviously you were going back to school looking at that. You said at one point that this was a, a three-year process. You brought in six different schools, or at least you guys in research six different models for this. And you involved your teachers in the process of identifying, developing, researching, and coming up with possibilities. Am I explaining that correctly? Because it sounds like the investment that you made on this was huge on the front end before you ever went to the change. Absolutely. And it was, I mean, I, I was committed. I thought a full block schedule, most like the college schedule would work. We ended up with a hybrid and I listened to them. I promised them I would give them what they thought was they wanted. And they said, we want more time, but we don't want it all the time. So we came up with a hybrid, which I think, I think overall was a good thing. I think there's still benefits to a full block schedule. And I, and I think take a rabbit trail here, but I think one of the huge benefits of block schedule, not so much as the time, but in a, a society where we relationships are so huge now, the biggest thing full block schedule does, it gives you less kids <laughs> to know. Even though it's for half a year, I can get to know 80 kids better than I can get in 160. And I think criti- that's so critical now with the SEL piece, what we're dealing with, we need to get to know these kids. And as a high school teacher or middle school teacher, you've got 130 kids, guess what? Anything could happen. I don't care how good and how much you care. So helping them out there, but that's a sidebar. And I knew that at that time, but we didn't, we didn't get that, but whatever. So yeah, I, I compromised in my view, but we, we moved ahead and they, we took a vote 
<laughs> and and I, I when I saw the vote, I said, no, that's what we're going to do. With the thought, maybe we'll analyze it in three or four years. And uh, we never, for that place, it kind of embedded itself. And um, we left it where it was. You know, a classic line, they're the smartest people in the room are us. And I think we have to trust the majority of our staff. I think I believe in the 80-20 principle. There's 80% of your staff. For the most part, they're going to be with you. Talk for a little bit about the young leader, because there's sometimes new leaders have different challenges than experienced leaders. And as you're looking at the new leader who may feel like he or she is facing, you know, so many different obstacles when it comes to learning a staff or learning new responsibilities. And they're thinking about, you know, the fact that that leadership or like in your case, sailing means facing the wind and not always cruising because that's just the way leadership is. What advice would you have for that new leader of where to start? Where, where would you tell them are some of the most important places to go first? Uh, let me narrow it down to uh, two or three things real quick. Just having, and that kind of is my job now is working with new VPs and new principals. I'd say the classic line, it's, it's year one. <laughs> just like teaching's year one, it's a hell of a year. You just got to hang in there. So just give yourself the benefit. It's, it's still year one. That's what some, I keep telling them that's what summer is for. You regroup in the summer, take out those notes. And, you know, not everything, but there's some key things you need to change about the way you do business as a leader, uh, uh, the system that you set up, et cetera. So give yourself a grace in that regard there. Number two, be prepared to be disappointed. <laughs> but I think many come in with high expectations. A lot of them are coming right out of college or some certification course. They've read the books. They read all the big guys. Usually the people teaching that are successful and then they get in their situation and there's no team, there's no vision, <laughs> there's this constant chaos and they get discouraged. In my role as a mentor, I'm kind of neutral so I can say what I want. <laughs> and I say, you don't got to stay here forever. Okay, you watch, um, look at your job description and do that job description well. You may think this needs to change. You may think if we could just do it this way or if these meetings would just be focused in this direction, you're not in the position, particularly if you're a vice principal, which most of them are. You just keep watching and learning, do your job well. As a mentor, my job is to say, hang in there, hang in there. And there's some, some that I've, you know, two, they've stayed there two years and I've encouraged them to go to that district because that leader uh, gets it and he wants a person like you. So learn, grow, watch, take good notes. When I am at the end of working in a mentor relationship, one of the handful of list of things I go through them is um, you're going to be responsible for your professional growth. You need to find two or three gurus out there that you like, that you can relate to. Become a guru in leadership. You've got to be fascinated by it and find people that you connect with. And um, you're going to take responsibility for your own professional growth. You've got to put yourself around other professionals. I would, I would go to a national conference. And this is another thing I tell young leaders. After you've been there two or three years, beg, plead, and say, you got to send me to a national conference because you go there and it's pretty much what I just said on steroids. And I'm sure, Will, you'll agree with this. I went every two, three years, no more than, never let three years go by. And I would just, you just hear people from all over the country just excited and you're, you're thinking things. And I would just, tear, I go back in my room at night and I go through my notes and delineate my 18 pages notes down to one page. I couldn't, I couldn't worry about the 18 pages, but this I could do something with. And then the next day, I would do the same thing. So it was, it was really the same thing, but I think that's more of the, probably the ultimate example. And there's so many opportunities after all the organizations that are out there. And, you know, some of them have regional meetings and all that. Get that out to them. Well, one of the things that I admire about you, Dave, is your commitment to continuous learning. And that, in fact, that's how we met when, gosh, it was almost four years ago, you reached yeah. out to me by email and just 
and asking questions. You'd been listening to my podcast and you reached out to me and I've been so blessed by the relationship because you've taught me so much too. And so you, even though you're no longer in the business, you're still in the business consulting leaders, but even though you're no longer a full-time principal, you have right. never stopped learning about leadership. And some aspects um, are timeless. Who are some of your leadership go-tos? If you're helping young leaders discover um, some of the folks you turn to for, and that doesn't have necessarily to be an education, but who are some of the, what are some of the leadership go-tos that you have? You know, the DeFours were, were one very, for me, yeah, Rick was an, uh, inspirational. He was such a, he could put into words in two sentences what I'd struggle to tell my staff over two months. So, but his organization, his, what he put out there, I think is, it's, he's got rewrites of several of his books, but and I, I read the PLC, the whole concept, it's not the, you could change the name for whatever you want. That whole concept is huge. It's, it, it's, it feeds off a of backwards design. Um, it's systemic. It's coherent. All the things that are missing from most organizations. Uh, George Chorus, I think it's Chorus. I'm not sure I ever say it right. Yes. I, I, like it. I like his stuff. He put out something very recently just about what you just said about um, managing time for leaders. Short to the point, good stuff. Uh, obviously, I, I look forward to hearing your stuff come by there. My, uh, As you know, my... Uh, Son-in-law, who's a VP, um, reads and benefits from your situation. I listen to my my son-in-law talk, and he's he's interacting with vice principals. Sounds like around the world. And so it's a different animal now. Mm-hmm. I had to go find one person, read their book, find when they're preaching at a conference, and go there. Now I think he can just light up every night if he wanted to. So that's why I kind of encourage them to find somebody that rings your bell. You like how he says it, like how she says it, and if they got books, read them. If they're doing stuff online, listen to it. And I think I mentioned, uh, in my case, Roland Barth was huge in his book, Improving Schools from Within. Uh, that lit me up like a Christmas tree and, you know, guided me much um, as I was leading back then. Principal Matters listeners, I want you to know that if you are looking for inspiration, that you're going to find it not in isolation, but you're going to find it by connecting with other people who have been through those experiences with you so that when you are alone, you've got inspiration for those days ahead of you. And Dave, what's one parting word of advice that you would give to Principal Matters listeners? Anybody can sail downwind. <laughs> you, have no, you really don't need to know much. You can just put the sail up and you're moving. And you'll probably even steer. But when you turn it to go, we need to go here, all of a sudden you need more skill sets. So I, I often challenge young leaders as they are excited, they see what needs to be done, they start to create some things, I say, well, we need to slow down. There's, there's a process here of um, learning this, you know, just understanding the basic change process. I mean, there's so much research done on this. We just, it's the knowing doing thing. We, we know what happens, but the doing's hard. Doing is sailing upwind nowadays, big time. It's sailing upwind every week. It's going out and I'm always sailing upwind. I'm always, well, guess what? You're always sailing upwind, get better at it. Um, there's some people who can sail up better. There's, you know, if I know friends that sail up wind better than I do. So I want to learn from them. Why, how they, they, it still work, but they seem to get there faster, smoother with uh, less mishaps. Um, they judge the currents better. So, it, you know, if you want to use that, run that analogy, I think most, you ain't got much choice to sail downwind nowadays. <laughs> if you do, you're mediocre and uh, the profession deserves much better. Dave, I want to thank you for the wisdom that you've shared with Principal Matters listeners. Thank you so much for the opportunity to tell your story with others. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you so much for the time that you have listened this week because what you do matters. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.